Welcome to the Cannabis Data Science Meetup Group. Couldn't be happier to have you here today. Got two giant sets of cannabis data, tons of insights there. Just going to be doing summary statistics and see where that takes us. I've got a couple hypotheses that I want to run by you and suggest that we maybe explore them in more in depth. Before I do that, we'd love to maybe hear any of your input. So basically, I've been wrangling this Maryland lab result data and the Washington lab result data. And today we can look at some of the major cannabinoids, so the distribution of THC, CBD, of course. Maryland's interesting because they also have terpenes. And I went down the heavy metal rabbit hole because that was one that I don't think we've been down. You know, we've collected the heavy metal data in Washington state and we just glanced at it, saw, oh, there's a handful of detections. Nothing looks like it's over the limit. Let's, let's move on. So that's all the time I spent on that. But Maryland's interesting because it gives us another site on heavy metal detections in another state. So I thought it was worthwhile to at least take another look real quick. But that's the rabbit hole I went down. Before I drone on about this, Yasha, you have any thoughts that you want to add to this? Any perspectives? Anything I'm missing? Anything you want know, to very, very interested in what you have to say. Heavy metals, I think, is extremely valuable to look at because it, it could lead to major problems if it's not detected. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. Uh, one thing, of course, to take into account is whether the action limits are different in the two states and uh, whether the two data sets both have just pass fail or whether they're quantified of how much of each metal is found. Uh, but I'm, I'm honestly really excited to see what you have. I love that that's what you're asking for because I knew that data point was going to be needed. And at the last minute, I went and grabbed it. Um, and they turn out to be interesting. So I'll, I'll tease that. But basically, the Washington limits look like they're so high that you'll never hit them. Um, and then there's some interesting things about the Maryland limits that we'll get to. So teaser, super interesting stuff coming down the pipeline. How about you, Candice? I think we're about to dive into the data, but is there anything that you want to put on the table before we begin? Well, um, interesting that uh, about the heavy metals, because I just posted an article talking about how they're discovering lead and uh, arsenic in cannabis patients. So, yeah, thank you for everything you do, Keegan. This is going to be so cool. I'm glad to be here. Thanks to Yasha. If I could add one more thing, um, I'm going to have to leave right at 12. Um, I hope I get to see a lot, and I hope you don't take offense of me abruptly leaving. Or my, my 12, which is oh, 22 minutes. Yeah. That's 100% okay. I'll just go ahead and jump right into the data since we're moving quick today. And it's interesting that you brought up both the point of lead and arsenic because those are the two heavy metals that are tested for in both states. And we can look at those. 
So let's just go ahead and start looking at this data. So without further ado, I'll share my screen with you and we can have a fruitful meetup. Oops, that's not what we want. So just so you know, I'll have this data posted to GitHub after the meetup. So you can find it there and then I'll be making various links available online. Eventually in the near future, I'm going to try to get this data onto Hugging Face, which should make it really easy to download. And what do we have here? We've got lab results for various strains going from 2017 to 2023 and have compiled the various analytes that are being tested for. So THC, THCA, of course. Maryland's super interesting because they're t measuring for terpenes here throughout all the years. So that's stupendous. And then we're going to look at. Sorry for interrupting. Uh, the terpene data is that uh, percent? Do you know what the units are? Exactly. I was assuming it's percentage. So it, it lines up with values we've seen before with the terpenes. But actually, I'll go ahead and share the terpene data with you since that one's mighty interesting. You were already. Um, actually, I'll just proceed um, so that way I don't have to read back in the data here. But since we're talking about terpenes, we can go ahead and look at the terpene data. Um, ba -ba 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 -ba. So I'm going to go a little out of order here. Um, okay. So also welcome to the group, Rajuta. Happy to have you here. We're moving quick and just going through a bunch of charts and data today. So feel free to speak up at any time if you have any input, comments, questions, ideas. Just forcefully interject. For sure. Sorry, I missed the first half because my uh, speakers were not working, but happy to be here and uh, looking forward to this uh, interactive session. Phenomenal. And just it will help everybody, and especially since you just arrived. What are we looking at today? We're looking at 95,000 quality control lab result tests in Maryland, combined with 69,000 lab results from Washington. I'm actually waiting on the latest public records request right now. So wish that had had have arrived, but you know, mm -hmm. combined, we're looking at around 165,000 lab results total. I figured there must be some something of in, interest here. You know, if you've got 165,000 quality control lab tests and you can't figure something out, you need to call another data scientist. Because as I said, you put any good data scientist in front of this data, they're going to be just walking away with insight after insight, just scraping the surface. So for example, here's one. We rarely get to see a really, really good distribution of terpenes. 
because terpenes aren't normally mandated for testing, except for in Oklahoma and apparently Maryland. I'm going to have to check the rule book, but um, for one reason or the other, we've got terpene data here. And this is helpful because it would help to know what's just the average terpene concentration. That way, say you get your cannabis products tested if you're a producer or if you're buying products as a retailer or if you're buying products as a consumer. It would help to know, you know, what is a reasonable amount of terpenes in your product. You know, is greater than 1% a lot of terpenes? Well, you know, if it's got 1% or more, then, you know, that's doing better than, you know, about a third of all products. So not bad, but it is below average, at least in Maryland. So, you know, if you've got a product with 2% terpenes, that's above average. And then you see some products just just go you know very very aromatic right you're going up to four percent and sometimes above in a small number of cases just to show you some of these outliers so check this out so it's going up to around four percent and so i was just curious you know are there any that are like really really strong um here that makes it's better if i just um plot a couple fields here so let's just plot terpenes and then i'll toss in the strain name just for fun but here you can see some various strains that tested above six percent terpenes and once again this looks like a miscoded value. So we'll just exclude anything greater than 100%. So, you know, the Cinderella, pink lemonade, painkiller, those would just get excluded by a simple rule of anything less than 100% because you can't have more than 100%. The dose alito is curious because it's testing at 39%. What's going on there? Is this in fact some sort of distillate, like some sort of terpene distillate that's got accidentally marked as flower, potentially? So, so that's something going on there. But I don't know. What I'm curious about here is you do see these extreme outliers testing at you know, north of 6%, some testing north of 7% terpenes, and this one testing north of 8%. So I just wanted to, to highlight that because those are some extraordinary high-level terpenes. And I think, you know, it's, of course, interesting to look at the average but sometimes I find it interesting to look at the outliers. So I would encourage you all to look at terpene data from various states and see, you know, what is 
the highest terpene concentration? You know, is 8.4% plausible? You know, is this maybe a miscoding? Maybe that was supposed to be 0.8%. It's, you know, so it's not impossible that that was a miscoding, but it's looking to me like that was just what they measured it at. Um, but before I move on, any thoughts about these terpene values? Um, Very interesting. I know that um, in some states I've seen on labels, terpenes at seven and a half to eight and a half percent. Um, so I, I don't think it's, I think that all of those, or at least some of those are reported, not necessarily accurately, but the, that is what goes on labels or the, the, those amounts. Exactly. So I think more is to be to looked at, you know, are they somehow adding terpenes, like doing some sort of terpene spray or something? Because it's, once you get that, right, that's, right, many, right, 8% is, is more, it looks like more than three standard deviations from the meat. Actually, we can actually- Looks like more than three, yeah. yeah we can actually find this out. Um, right, so what is the standard? And see, this is what's so cool about, and this is population level data. So because it's, I mean, it's not a, a sample, so, the, you know, we don't, really have to, to estimate really um so long story short you know three standard deviations from the mean is 4.35 percent so you know anything greater than around four and a half percent is i mean it's definitely an outlier that's for sure um so, so now I, I'm going to move on because, uh, Yasha, you have limited time here and I want to, to show you some of this, but. Um, uh, can I ask really quickly? Uh, yes. Just, uh, is this data from both Washington and Maryland or just one of those two states? This is just Maryland at the moment. Got it, because I would love to see how this histogram aligns uh, at least visually how this histogram compares to the Washington one. Okay, I'll move quick. So I'll do this in the next 10 minutes and then circle back through the cannabinoids for everyone else since you've got to go at noon Eastern time. So long story short, here are the limits for Maryland. Notice that the limits no longer include elements like silver, selenium, barium and here i'll plot them right now so that way you can see these so it looks like i'll show you this here here in a second so here's barium no limit i mean i should probably keep the axis longer um there's selenium and here's silver so note i could actually extend these distributions maybe to about 2 ppm um actually why don't i do that real quick um we'll just do that 
So long story short, you know, you see things like arsenic. Um, one second, we'll just let these plot real quick and then I'll talk about them and move on. So you see, of course, certain elements aren't pushing up near the limit. Other things like selenium, right? This is when it was being tested for. And so check out this. So, you know, why aren't there limits for selenium? And sorry to dump so many charts on you, but uh, I'll basically just generate all the charts and then talk about them. So sorry if this is data visualization overload here. But so, for example, silver was being screened for almost 300 detections in 2019. You see it almost goes away in 2021. And then there's no detections in 2022 and 2023, which makes me think they weren't testing for it. So I think for whatever reason, the heavy metal panel shrunk. So I think they dropped silver, dropped selenium. And you see they're still testing for mercury in 2023. Note mercury detections jump in 2021. Same for lead. See lead detections jump 2021. Maybe production jumped that year too. It's good to see that there's at least a downward potential trend here in lead. So what one would expect is if producers start failing products for lead detection, then they're going to start implementing processes to you know, reduce their lead contamination. So you would like to see people, you know, figuring out how to reduce their contamination. Chromium, um, a little spike there in 2023. So that's something a little worrisome, like um, maybe they're not getting their chromium under control. And once again, I I, I'm, I have no idea if these metals are good or bad, but they are being screened for. And from an economic point of view, you don't want to be failing your tests because that's going to increase your cost. Um, so barium looks like it's no longer being tested for. And then arsenic. You see arsenic jumps in 2022 interestingly versus 2021 and then you see the levels start to decrease this year and remember 2023 is not over yet you know we're not out of the woods yet so these 2023 numbers are expected to rise by the end of the year okay i can get through all this data so now back up to these charts this is the first one that I think is a juicy insight in that, look at this. You know, we've always talked in the past about discontinuous distributions, and it's always curious when a distribution goes right up to some limit. Um, in fact, that's what you'd call censored data. And so, you know, one kind of has to wonder here is, 
you know, why is this distribution going right up to the arsenic limit? Um, and once again, it could just be that maybe producers have some sort of internal measure of arsenic. You know, maybe they're measuring their own product before sending it off for testing. So there's per per perfectly, ooh, thought, comment, question? Uh, yeah, so I actually think there might be another uh, reason to this, a, a legitimate reason in that um, in some states, flour that is to be sold to the public cannot be sold with a certain amount of arsenic or whatever heavy metal. However, flour that is to be used for extractions or for other purposes, let's say uh, extractions of then um, edibles, that flour does not have to be tested for the same panel, which could also mean that if it tests for arsenic more than the legal amount, more than the action limit, then the producer could just decide Okay, that's fine. I'll send it for the other purpose, and then they don't have to report uh, arsenic failure because it's not a failure since the purpose changed. Yes, the, the only comment I have to say on that is, you really should. They really should be reporting the values, right? They shouldn't. Fully agree. Right? I'm just saying, like, there there might be, but that's a question that could be relatively easily found out. Good question. Um, that is a really good point. So basically, my input input of that is: say you detect arsenic at zero point five, and maybe the rules say that they can just call up the producer, and the producer says, "Actually, cancel that test. I'm going to turn this into oil." Maybe they can do that, but. I think they should still report those values, um, right? Because, you know, if, if a test was performed, that it, sh it should be recorded. So that kind of goes under my philosophy of never throw away data. And so if something tested 0.5 arsenic and they're going to turn it into oil, so be it. But I think for the sake of transparency, they should at least report it. But that's my opinion, and uh, I want to, to move on a bit because there's, like I said, whenever you see something like this, it's you, sometimes you think the worst, but as Yasha pointed out, it, it could just be just the way things shook out. Um, so I would encourage you all to, to maybe, one, recalculate my statistics, to look at that one more in depth. But uh, let me go. King, just, just to say, I'm, I'm fully on the same page as you. It should absolutely be reported. I just want to point out that um, regulations may have an effect in this way. And I, I hope that we find out whether that's the case. Yes. And I mean, just for example, in Washington, the limit on arsenic is 10 ppm. Um, so, you know, the, Theoretically, we wouldn't see the same incentive in Washington. Um, and in fact, uh, let me actually show you that plot right now since it's relevant. Um, so if we just actually go ahead and jump way down here, we can plot plot them all together. Um, and then I'll, I'll circle back for some of the uh, other heavy metals because they're super interesting too.
Um, but, but, but since this is the one that Josh is talking about. Okay, so here you see the distribution of arsenic in Maryland. And here I overlaid the detections in Washington. And you see in Washington, even though the limit is 10 ppm, you're not really seeing anything greater than 0.2%. So it, for whatever reason, whether they're measuring differently in Washington or what have you, we're, that just looks like around where the distribution is. So remember, we were talking about outliers earlier. And I mean, anything greater than 0.4% is definitely going to be an outlier. So it, it could just be that that's a reasonable limit, you know, and then anything greater than that, it, you know, is just uh, rare. So um, then just to kind of just show you some of these other ones that I want to hit on the, the most interesting point. Um, and, and then Yashi, you may have to catch the recording on that one. But, um, but, but mercury, you know, nothing's coming close to the limit there. Cadmium, same thing. Nothing's really coming close to the limit. Lead, once again, Candace, this may be a good sign for you or potentially policy uh, changes may be in order because it's like, look, you know, lead, you know, nothing's coming close to the 1% rule. And so one have, may want to wonder, you know, would a, uh, you know, I mean, lead has definitely been demonstrated to have negative effects on people. So would it be reasonable to limit the, the lead to around, you know, maybe not 0 0.2, but 0 0.4 or maybe 0 0.2? Um, so I don't know. So that's maybe maybe sort of a, a policy discussion because you know remember we were talking about earlier how the limits can kind of give producers the incentive to to make cleaner and cleaner products so would lowering the limit on lead maybe be be worth talking about um because as candace was pointing out it may be ending up in people's blood so maybe there is only a minuscule amount of lead but maybe it goes right into you for whatever reason um and and it may bioaccumulate so who who knows um but the, the lead wasn't really when i was specifically going to talk about but uh candace brought it up and just wanted to point out where the limit is okay so now time for some of the juicy bits that i wanted to talk about so back to Maryland, unless Yasha or anyone, do you have any final thoughts on sort of the limit discussion? Okay. And anyone else, feel free to chime in at any point. But when, one thing that kind of struck my mind was, you know, um, barium detections aren't that outrageous but you know the, the concentrations maybe something to think about chromium once again kind of going right up there towards the limit 
talked about lead, talked about mercury. Selenium is an interesting element in that it's come up multiple times in our conversations. So for example, we use selenium to get data out of COAs sometimes. Um, that's a software named selenium, but it's just a funny word that keeps coming up. But I think this is maybe an element that's worth looking at more because there looks like when it was being screened for in Maryland, it, it looks to me like non-negligible amounts were being detected. Um, and so once again, is that a harmful chemical? Why is it there? What's a reasonable limit? Those are all good questions and ones that I encourage you to research, but I'm just kind of pointing this out. But the one I really wanted to, to point out here um, was this silver one. Um, so if we just look here at silver, actually, I think I have it right here. Actually. Let's just look at the summary statistics here. So, so this is the one that I mostly focused on with silver, because we've never seen any information about silver before. And, you know, there were 600 samples where silver was detected. When it was detected, you know, you're detecting around, on average, around 0.25%. So around here is the average amount. But um, I think there must have been one outlier. And then, you know, you're seeing it go up to about 0.9%. And the question that I got here was, you know, why is silver being detected in the products? And started to do a little bit of research and just kind of wanted to pass this off to you because I think this is maybe, you know, some something worthwhile discussing is if you look, if you do just a, a little bit of research here, a little bit of literature review, you'll see that these various silver sprays have been known for a long time. So this one's 1982. I um, mean, this is a more recent publication of 2018. Um, but basically, do, you know, a Google Scholar search for collodial silver plus cannabis or silver biosulfate plus cannabis. And it basically looks like this silver spray is being used to make female plants create pollen. That way you can 
create seeds. So the idea is if you're trying to mix various cultivars, you have a room filled with, you know, female flower. So how do you get male pollen? It looks like you may find one, a flower that you want to breed, spray that one with this silver thiosulfate or collodial silver. And it looks like you can create seeds that way. So this may be a way that companies are making seeds. And I was hearing from people that if you do do this process, you know, you're supposed to keep and you may start spraying the plants when they're in their vegetative stage. You know, you want to keep those plants away from your other plants and you wouldn't want to harvest those ones and sell them. And this and this is kind of what's, what has gotten me thinking is, is this silver just being accumulated through the water? You know, is this just environmental silver contamination? Or is this trace amounts of silver left over from the application of a silver spray? And the reason I start thinking about this is, you know, silver was, they were screening for it here. And you notice there were a bunch of detections in 2019 in a handful in 2020. And then it looks like the rules may have either changed in the early in in the middle of the year of 2021 or at least changed in 2022 and 2023. And I just wonder, you know, why did they drop silver, you know, when, you know, they're still screening for some of the other metals? Um, it could just be the number of detections here. So let's look at some of these other ones. So selenium was, you know, um, around a thousand. Mercury, you see there's significantly more detections, significantly more detections of lead, chromium, cadmium, and even barium's kind of high. So one kind of has to wonder why did they drop barium? Maybe barium's not dangerous. And then arsenic, uh, they're still testing for. So it could just be that there is very few silver detections so that they decided to drop it. But when you think about it, if the producer was using a silver spray, there would only be a very few number of detections, right? They wouldn't spray silver on their entire crop. They would just spray it on, you know, one plant here and there to, to make seeds. And so what I'm a little worried about is, are they spraying this on certain plants to make seeds? 
And then are they trying to save costs by instead of just using that plant for seeds, they'll use it for seeds and also harvest it and sell the flower buds. You may have somebody joining. Oh, Luke. Lou, you joined at a particularly interesting time here, so happy to have you here. Long story short is, I think more research needs to be done here, but I don't know. I just have this, this worry that, yes, silver, these silver sprays are being used to to create seeds um, through some various mechanism. Would a producer, you know, have the incentive to also, you know, try to harvest it? Um, and it looks like maybe they were, but maybe they were getting some detections and that's not going to look good, right? So if you're a producer, you use silver spray, it's being detected, that's that's going to kind of have you worried so i've got a, a sort of a bad feeling that perhaps the producers in maryland may have lobbied to get silver dropped from the the required testing um once again that could just be a completely illegitimate worry it could just be the case that the scientists looked at it, they realized there's not that many detections relative to other compounds like mercury. It could be that ingesting silver, once again, I'm just conjecturing here, I encourage you all to research this, but it could be that ingesting silver is nowhere near as dangerous as ingesting mercury. So there could be a risk factor but um but i don't know those were just my thoughts for today was for whatever reason maryland had a more extensive heavy metal panel and then around 2021 they dropped a few elements and some of the ones that they dropped are ones that from looking at the data, actually, some of the ones that I think they should be testing for, right? So silver, and then uh, we saw above selenium, you know, once again, is there a risk factor there? Maybe, maybe not. But it to me, it seems like it would be more worthwhile almost to test for selenium and silver versus some of the the other metals right like mercury i mean potentially lead right even though those ones may be more dangerous chemical or more dangerous elements we're not really seeing that concerning levels but once again it could be the proper incentive maybe if there wasn't a 0.2 percent limit here there would be tons of mercury in the product you know, maybe because there is a limit, producers are 
measuring the mercury in their water and taking various preventative steps and are doing a good job at limiting the mercury in their samples. And so a good engineering philosophy if is if it's not broke, don't fix it. So the mercury limit, that one looks like it's fine. Cadmium may be fine. The lead one, like we said, is debatable, I think. You know, would a 0.2% limit on lead provide a, an incentive for people to do better there, or would that one not be reasonable? And then once again, arsenic, you know, is 0.4% too stringent, not stringent enough, just right? I think that's up for debate. Um, but I think this one's super interesting. I would love to see some some arsenic data from other states. So as I mentioned before, there's definitely more to that picture there. Um, and, but I think, does it for my thoughts on heavy metals? How about any of you? Hopefully I didn't scare you to death. I know out of all of the contaminants, the heavy metals are kind of some of the scariest, but the good news is the detection rates are really, really low. Remember, there's, you know, say 600 detected for, um, oops, one second. So, you know, the detection rate for silver is, you know, uh, a fraction of 1%. So, but but keep in mind they stopped testing for it in 2022 and 2023. So so once again, you know, am I getting uh, all worried and bent out of shape over nothing, or, or is that something there, or is there something there? So that was sort of the 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 lesson of the day today, right? Was you know quality over quantity and looking at the outliers. And so basically, you know, is there anything to the, the outliers? But those are my thoughts, comments, questions for today. Does anyone want to, to chime in with any thoughts on this one? This is very interesting, Keegan. I, uh, I, the article that I saw this morning um, is from uh, Environmental Health Perspectives. It's actually on the National Institute of Health.gov website. And um, they use like a National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. It's called NHANES, N-H-A-N-E-S, between like 2005 and 2018. And there were like 7,000 participants and they, completed a drug use questionnaire. So it's self-reporting, right? And like Lewis said, you know, probably garbage in, garbage out. But the interesting thing is, is that they found that, um, hold on, let me get the numbers in front of me. They found that 30-day cannabis users have higher uh, cadmium at 25% higher in the blood, 18% higher in the urine, uh, the lead was 27% higher in the blood and 21% higher in the urine than non-users. And, 
you know, too, it, you know, could very well not be state cannabis that these self-reported users were using, but it could also be some state cannabis in there. And, um, you know, as a medical marijuana patient in Massachusetts and Florida, it could very well be state cannabis too, because they rush and corner cut it and put all kinds of growth hormones, pesticides, insecticides, herbicides in it, you know, without full disclosure. So, but anyway, <laughs> that's all I have. You'll need to pass this article along to me because I put it into the chat. Super interesting. I'll review this and I think this one's come across my radar. In this was only published uh, September 25th, so it is pretty new. So it was published on the 25th. It kind of started leaking out. I only just received it, I think, this morning on LinkedIn. So I didn't even give you a chance to look at it. But you just happen to be picking a great subject today, as always. This speaks to many things. One, the trickiness of statistics. Two, the importance of the scientific process, because we mentioned one study is good. But remember the chart about how the law, the law of large numbers, and I think the law of large numbers applies to the scientific process. So the first person they do their study, right, they may be wildly right, but wildly off, they may be wildly wrong. You know, they could be all over the place. And then, you know, there's a lot of variance. But the idea is the more and more studies that are done, they'll narrow in on the right number. So one, would love to see more studies. And two, there once again, when there are statistics that are meaningful, they should jump out at you. So maybe this number jumped, right? It's a, it's a large variance. So maybe this number jumped out to the researchers. Two, correlation is not necessarily causation. And this is the problem with a lot of the, the health studies and doing controlled studies in general. Well, I'm not sure if this was a controlled study or just a, just general aggregates here. Maybe it is the case, but you know, is it the cannabis that's causing it? Because I think there's, you know, there's been studies in the past that, I mean, I'm sure of it, right? That it's hard to, you know, control for everything under the sun. Um, so there could just be something systemically different about the people that were willing to say that, yes, they consume cannabis. So, so one, I think it's worth noting, you know, as I say, any data is better than no data. So here's, you know, one data point. You know, it's not a, a glamorous data point, but I think we should take it into consideration, knowing that it may not be the end all be all. It definitely means that more scientific studies are in order. So definitely something to look at. Um, and so like, like I said, we could dismiss it or maybe there is something there. You know, as we were pointing out today, there sometimes is what I think are non-negligible limits of some of the heavy metals. It looks like they're typically under the limit, 
but maybe the limits are too high because remember the Maryland limits, they were, were rarely coming close to those except for with certain compounds like arsenic. And then the Washington limits are on a whole scale magnitude greater. And then once again, somebody brought up the comment that that's through the regulated system. So you think, oh, through the regulated system, people have the incentive to use clean water and regulated fertilizers, because that's a way that heavy metals can sneak in. If you get poor quality nutrients, poor quality fertilizers, you're just using poor sources of water. All of those can be sources of contaminants. Um, so, so super, ooh, and then the other interesting thing about the study was the time scale, right? Uh, the, because it's uh, it covers the time from well before adult use markets, right? So 2005, that's back in the medical cannabis days. And then it wasn't even really till, you know, Washington and Colorado permitted cannabis, I think at the end of 2012, that the adult use markets really started cropping up. And as we've pointed out, it took a long time for testing to really start to become even, it's not standardized yet, but even close to what it is now. So testing's come a long way since then. So, so long story short is, I think there's a ton more to research here. Want to share the data with you. So look for an email i'll make sure it gets on to github as i said i'll put it on hugging face i'll just have it in as many places as possible that way you can try to get your paws on it take a look at it because there's a lot more data points that i haven't even looked at so there's all the pesticides the microbiology is interesting in in maryland oh and then i completely skipped over them today but you could also look at the cannabinoid data, which is of interest, right? It's cannabis after all. So, so lots going on there. Just kind of looking through your questions here. But, so long story short is, As a, a consumer, I think, personally, I think, you know, that, you know, cannabis consumers, medical consumers, you know, should be allowed to, you know, say, grow their cannabis at home to make sure it's really clean. And, you know, that topic of home grow came up. And, you know, one has to wonder, you know, is growing at home actually cleaner than what some of the producers are doing? We don't know yet. We'd love to get some data on that. So I know heavy metal testing is super expensive. So that may be a little too much for for patients to 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 get. Funny topic on this. There's 
a new bill. I don't know if it will pass or not. I think in D.C. Um, for like the District of Columbia itself, where they're trying to permit medical consumers there to get lab testing for free. But I don't think that one will pass because that's just, I think, too costly. You know, a cannabinoid test, I don't know, may cost 20 to $80. Uh, a heavy metal test, I want to say maybe up to 300 or more dollars. Maybe not, maybe you can get a deal on one of those, but that's an expensive test. And so that's another reason why all this data I think is super valuable. This data has been generated from, from expensive tests. Each one of these observations, you know, may run us, you know, say 100 or so dollars, maybe to 200 or so in Washington state. Do I know in California, a quality control test may cost 800 or more dollars, you know, maybe somewhere in between for Maryland. So these are not cheap tests. The data is readily available. Why, why throw it away? The, you know, here, I'll do the math real quick. Let's say each Maryland test costs $200. Then this data set, wow, would have cost $19 million. So, I mean, that's just a back of the, the envelope calculation, but there may have been as much as $19 million spent just on lab testing in Maryland. Um, and then let's just say it's $200 as well for all the Washington tests. Then that is going to be another, another 13, all close to $14 million in Washington. So, you know, there could be close to around $35 million that have been spent on lab testing to generate this data set. And thankfully, due to, due to the fortunate laws of Washington and Maryland, these are available through Freedom of Information Act requests. And I think that people can learn and benefit from this knowledge, right? If you're a cannabis consumer or a producer or a retailer or anyone interested in the cannabis space wouldn't it be awesome to get some statistics some knowledge some data in your hands so so anywho this is what i happen to be interested in as i mentioned just the topic of the silver spray came up across my mind we actually have some data actually wanted to look at it so did this quick easy heavy metal analysis for Maryland, saw that silver yeah, was being detected here and there, but then they stopped testing for it. And so that just makes me wonder, why did they stop testing for it? And is a silver spray being used on products that then ends up being sold to consumers? If so, is that even dangerous? 
is it only happening in maryland so th that's why you know they're not testing you know they're not testing for silver in washington but i would love to know are there any products that may test uh, for that you know is silver an expensive element to test for you know would it break the bank for labs to add silver to their panel of heavy metals so so i don't know food for thought but um but anywho i can't thank you enough for attending right it's your eyes your ears your brilliant ideas that make the meetup happen after all so can't thank you enough for attending please take the opportunity explore the data and if you come up with any insights have any cool statistical analyses of your own then you're always welcome to come and share them here at the meetup thank you keegan on that note i'll let you all go have a productive day go bye on. conquer the bye, world bye. so thank thank you for helping advance cannabis science everyone bye.